Well, hey, everybody. Good to see all of you again. Um, so this week was kind of a whirlwind trip for our family. We had to quick go up to Michigan. Quick go up to Michigan, right? 12 hours and 12 hours. That wasn't quick, no, but we were there a short period of time. Uh, we'd do some stuff with Lisa's family. And, and um, uh, I got a chance to actually, you know, think about some things that are coming up because, you know, 12 hours in the car, what else are you going to do, right? Um, having a conversation with myself just isn't that interesting after a while. So um, anyway, uh, thinking a little bit about what's coming up in the next week or so, uh, I, I, I got so many things. I'm like, I got a list here that I want to I make sure that I talk about. But before I do that, um, for those of you who are gathered online, uh, welcome to Thrive Church. I'm so glad that you're here and uh, that you're able to join us uh, digitally. It's uh, great to have you. And if you are planning on ever um, showing up on a Sunday uh, live, uh, this next week will be the week to do it. There's lots of cool things that are going on. So let me start. I'm going to start with the third, which is two weeks from now, two Sundays from now. I'm going to start with there. I'm going to work my way backwards, okay? So October the 3rd is our fifth birthday, which is really cool. So yeah, although, like I said last week, I feel like we lost a year but that's okay. You know, we're still five years old, so we're going to do some birthday stuff on that day. It'll be fun. Um, I'm looking forward to that one. And then that Friday night, the first, we're going to do a worship night here. So if you've not been to one of our worship nights, you're, you're really going to want uh, to be there. They're, they're just extraordinary. They're fun to be a part of, and we get to do it in this space, and it'll, it'll be a good time. But the other thing that I want to, to mention about um, that particular week from the 27th, Monday the 27th to the 1st, is I'm calling the church to prayer and fasting. Get us ready for whatever this next season is. I, you know, I, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I took a sabbatical was to try to, try to just hear from God and, and ask him, you know, what, what's next for us? And I've got some ideas about that, but I want our hearts to be prepared for whatever it is that he has in mind. It'll be fun. It'll be extraordinary. It'll be exciting. It'll be a wild ride, I'm sure. But let's spend some time prayer and fasting. We'll have ways for you to be able to do that. That'll be coming out here shortly. Um, but just trying to get everybody to say, hey, Lord, what, what is it that you want? And so we're going to take that week, the 27th to the 1st, five days, fifth birthday, do you see the connection? There's a pattern here, right? Uh, we want to do that, the, the 27th through the 1st, uh, some prayer and fasting. Um, on the 26th, uh, next Sunday, a couple things. First of all, uh, right after service, we're going to do a quick business meeting. Um, as some of you know, we've been working on making some changes to our bylaws because we're in process of, of filing for our own 501c3, and the IRS likes certain things in the bylaws, and so in order to make those changes, all of you have to vote for that. Uh, that document will be going out this week, and hopefully it will all be color-coded so that you can see what the changes might be, because you're not going to want to read the whole thing. Trust me on this. Uh, it's one of those kinds of documents that lawyers make in order to justify their existence. God bless them. You know, I'm appreciative of the profession, but at the same time, um, not the most creative writers. I'm just going to say that up front. So, um, but that document will be going out. If you have questions, you can certainly ask it. Uh, there's no major changes on how we actually operate. 
but there are certain pieces of language that the IRS likes to see in our bylaws, and we need to update them for that purpose, if that makes sense. If you have questions about that, you can certainly ask me, and I'd be happy to, to talk with you about that. Also, on the uh, 20, uh, sorry, that's the 26th, Sunday the 26th, right after service, we're going to do that business meeting. And then uh, also on the 26th, I've been thinking about trying to do a baptism service in the afternoon. Uh, if you're interested in being baptized, you need to let me know that. Um, so far, I haven't had anybody say anything to me, and so uh, I'm just kind of throwing that out there. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll make that decision um, as soon as I hear from some more people. Uh, but here's the thing. Um, this is kind of like the last weekend where it's going to be warm enough to do this. You know, as the temperatures begin to drop, I don't want to get into the pool. Thank you very much. Uh, but we can always push that off till next summer, and that, that's fine too. So if you're interested in baptize, uh, being baptized, let me know, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that some more. So lots of things coming up in the next couple of weeks, right? Yeah, kind of exciting. So again, questions, you can certainly ask me afterwards. Uh, uh, you can ask Dan too. We'll try to get you the right answers. Dumb looks are free. We're very good at those. But I think, I think we know I think we know about these, uh, so it'll be good. All right, so uh, I'm continuing my series in, um, on the life of David and trying to learn what we can from this person who is called the man after God's own heart. And if you'll remember, that phrase um, is an idiom, and it basically means that he was loyal, loyal to God. And we're trying to understand a little bit more about what it means to be, be loyal. And today we're going to see that loyalty that David had for, for Yahweh, for God, in on, just on full display. You're really going to see it today. Now, I want you to remember um, that Saul is the king. He was uh, anointed, and then he did some things, and God's favor was taken from him. And David is God's choice to be Saul's successor. Uh, and there's hostility between the two. As you can imagine, right, there's... Saul's, Saul's threatened by David at, at, uh, to a certain extent, but also um, he's after him because of that. And we have to keep that in mind. He's still hunting David all over the, the countryside. And so we're going to rejoin the story in 1 Samuel chapter 24. And so I invite you to turn there with me. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit different today. Um, I haven't, haven't done this in a, in a while. Um, I'm going to actually read the story um, from the word uh, I'm going to make some observations along the way, and then I'm going to offer some thoughts at the end of it. <coughs> but normally speaking, I have um, the verses on the screen. I'm not going to do that today. And so I just want to encourage everybody that, you know, if you, if you don't, make sure you have a Bible when you come to church. Uh, whether you have got it on your phone, hey, that's cool. Uh, or if you're old school like me and like something tactile, you know, bring that with you. And the other thing you might want to do is bring a journal with you or bring something to to write with, uh, write some things down on. Um, even if you're not into the full-blown journaling like some of us are, hey, that's cool, but you might want to write something down. And here's, here's the reason why. If you like went to a conference for your job, um, you would write some of that stuff down, right? And how many of you go to the grocery store um, without a written list? And some of you are like, oh no, I just do it in, in my head. Okay, that's cool. How many times do you actually forget something? Uh-huh, you're laughing, because I know, yeah, we do it all the time. And so you probably ought to write some of these things down. I think it's important. So have a Bible with you, and um, 
um, have a uh, something to write with. I think that's uh, important for us. I just want to encourage you to do that. And so today uh, I'm going to read. I'm going to read from the text, First uh, Samuel chapter 24. This is, uh, you know, kind of old school. What we call incarnational preaching. It's you, me, the Word, and that's it. Okay, because uh, really that's all we need. Because um, Jesus is already in the house and He's waiting for us. So let's uh, let's pull this out and let's talk about. Uh, let's read and then let's talk about First Samuel chapter twenty-four. Uh, it might, the story might be familiar to you, at least uh, I hope so. Here we go. <clears throat> Verse one. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. That's just a cool name. I wonder why it's called that. <laughs> so um, En Gedi, uh, I may have mentioned this before, is on kind of the western edge of the, of the Dead Sea. And it's more or less a wilderness area. Apparently there's wild goats nearby. So um, you have to think of it kind of that way. Now, I'm sure there's human settlement there, but it doesn't sound like it's you know, the most populous place. It's kind of out there a little bit. And uh, let's, let's keep reading. Because um, we're talking about Saul, came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul, Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. Now, we need to hit the pause button right there because, yes, I do have a middle schooler in my head. And uh, we need to talk a little bit about this because the phrase that's actually used here is quite interesting. Um, the phrase is that Saul went into the cave to cover his feet. That's the term in Hebrew, to cover his feet, which is a euphemism for relieving himself. And y'all know what that means. I know you do, right? Um, and it's interesting because what we're going to find out, you're, you're going to be able to figure this out pretty quickly, what's going on, all right? So uh, keep that in mind. Uh, I'm going to file this whole thing under you. You know, this is kind of one of those gross stories that we tend to sanitize, you know, because we in church and we're not allowed to, you know, use certain language. But let's keep reading. Um, let, let's start with uh, uh, verse 4 here. Uh, the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, I want you to imagine how long it might take you to quietly cut off of somebody's robe. So you know what Saul was doing, right? Yeah. Um, it took a little bit of time. And so here's David's doing this. Saul's doing his business, and he, he goes up and he cuts this thing. Verse 5. Afterward, uh, David was, was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. Because you know they were itching to do it. You know it. And Saul left the cave and went his way. This is where David's loyalty shows again, I think. Um, and, and I want you to think about this with me. Because there's a logic here that we, we need to wrestle with. 
In that moment, killing Saul would have been the correct military, the correct strategic decision. Do you understand that? He is vulnerable. He is com- would be taken completely by surprise. Um, caught with his pants down, quite literally, right? <laughs> Let's be honest about this. I told you, junior high school, right up here, right? But it would be the wrong spiritual decision. You understand? So it's the right military decision, it's the wrong spiritual decision. And I find this really interesting because this stands in stark contrast to what Saul did. Saul was faced with a military decision. His men were abandoning the field because they were waiting for Samuel to come and make the sacrifice. And so he doesn't wait. He goes ahead and he, and he does the sacrifices himself. And Samuel rides up on that scene and he says, what are you doing? Was it the right military decision? You better believe it. If your forces are leaving the field, you need to do something to motivate them to get them back into the fight. The right military decision, completely the wrong spiritual decision. And here we have the reverse. David is faced with the exact same choice that Saul was. Different set of circumstances, same choice. And what does he choose to do? He chooses to make the right spiritual decision. He chose... um, to be loyal to God and God's anointed. And I think that it became a teaching moment. And really what's at issue here is waiting, right? He was waiting, uh, Saul didn't wait, and David did wait. I think it's an important thing for us to remember. Now, Saul goes on his way. Um, Verse 8, Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king, when Saul looked behind him, that had to have been one of those moments like, uh uh-oh. David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And he said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urge me to kill you, But I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut it off the corner of your robe, but but I did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. So David's really, you know, pleading his case here, right? He he continues on. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. Man, talking about rubbing salt in the wound, right? My goodness. But he's pleading the case here. He's trying to get Saul to understand what's really happening. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? (laughs) Yeah, right. And he wept aloud. Hmm. 
You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me of the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. This is the word of the Lord, and we believe it. It's a story that um, you may have heard before. You know, Saul here is, is again shamed. Not, not, not shamed in the toxic sense of the word, but but he's proven to be the lesser of the kings involved. He's, he's shamed both militarily and he's also shamed morally and spiritually. And, and the upshot here is he actually recognizes it for a change because it doesn't seem like he does in, in, in other circumstances. But at least here, there is some uh, amount of recognition. Um, I think it's happening. And I want to suggest to you that in this story, um, there are some significant lessons or, or maybe some points to ponder. And these are some things you might want to write down. Um, these are things to think about. I, I, and, and I think they're tied to some of the characters in the story, um, some of the players here. And the first one is David, um, because it, it's just an astonishing display of inner strength to do this. Uh, would you agree? I mean, come on. Your enemy is there, completely vulnerable. You've got a shot, and everyone around you is urging you to take it, and yet there's something inside of you that says, no, I can't do this. I mean, that takes a, a tremendous amount of inner strength. And I think it also just underscores this idea of loyalty to God. That's God's anointed. I'm anointed too, but that was God's first anointing. And he demonstrates this loyalty, and, and this is the thing that I, I think we need to grab hold of, even when, or especially when, it's difficult to do. The opportunity is there, and he still doesn't take it because there's something inside of him. And this is no small thing, waiting for God's timing. Please, please understand that. God anointed him, and God will put him on the throne when he's ready. Does this make sense? So, so here David is, and he understands that there's some anointing going on, and that's God's anointed. But if God anointed him to be king, then God's going to put him on the throne when God is, is ready to do that. And, and I think there's, there's something here that we really, really need to think about. When God makes a promise, he chooses when. When God gives anointing, he gets to choose the timing. It's the same thing as if you're giving a gift. If you have a gift to give to someone, you get to choose when you give it. Sometimes it's hard to do that, right? Because you want to give it right now. But the fact of the matter is, when God makes a promise or when God gives anointing, he gets to choose the timing. And that's something that we need to, to think about because if you're in the midst of, of prayer, if you're spending time in the presence of God and he says something to you, you need to understand, <laughs> you need to understand very clearly that he gets to choose when. Just recently, I was going through my own journal, and there are a couple of things that the Lord has said to me over the years that are still unfulfilled. 
and I write them down, um, partially to remind him, <laughs> but sometimes to remind myself. Uh, these are things that I believe that the Lord has said, and they're, they're unfulfilled, and, and that's okay, because he gets to choose. That's, that's, that's his right. That's his privilege to do that. Now, the interesting thing is we still have to do our part. So in the meantime, there are still things that we have to do. David still had to exist. David still had to live. David still had to endure things. David still needed to earn a living and, and to feed himself and his family and, and lead these men that are around him. He still had things that he needed to do even though he had the anointing and he had the promise of God and he still needed to wait. There was things for him to do. <clears throat> He had to do those. And you have to understand that waiting is often space that God creates for our development. I really hate that. But sometimes God makes a promise and builds that longing in your heart for something because he's trying to develop that in you. There are things that you need to accomplish. There are things that you need to know while you're waiting, and that's, that's a challenge. And this is why Jesus taught us um, over in Matthew chapter 6. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, those are not two separate things, but what he's saying is, seek that first, and all of this, the rest of the stuff that he just preached about, God will add that. Seek first, and he will add all these things to you. You do this, this is your part and God will add the rest. Do you see that? That's the point here. There are things that you have to do in the meantime, and that's seeking the kingdom and his righteousness. You seek, God adds. There's a part for you to play, and that's the, the same as it is to everyone, uh, for everyone. And I think that David recognized that this was, Israel was God's kingdom. It was God's kingdom on earth. And likewise, we too can have kingdom-mindedness. Because if David would have taken Saul's life right then and there, then, based on those circumstances, everyone would have thought it was justified, but at the same time, it would have thrown Israel into chaos. Why? Because there's Saul camp and there's a David camp. And then you have civil war. How is that good for a kingdom? It's not. Are you seeing this? There are bigger things that are at play than just the hostility between a father-in-law and a son-in-law. There are other things that are going on here and it's this kingdom-mindedness and the challenging circumstances when you face them and you're trying to be kingdom-minded, the thing that you have to do for yourself and for the people around you and for the kingdom is to say, hey, what is God up to here? What, what's going on here? Because if you believe that the Spirit is constantly active and as good Wesleyans, we do. We think that he's always active. And we have to ask ourselves the question, even when things are difficult, even when things are uncomfortable, is to say, wait a minute, what's God up to right here, right now? Is there a bigger story that's being written that I get to be a part of in all of this? And I'm telling you, your emotions will take over and you'll want to lash out and you'll want to run away and you'll want to do all kinds of other things. But if you're going to be kingdom-minded, is you rein those in and you go, okay, what's God doing here? What's God doing in this 
set of circumstances. Jesus also said in that same block of teaching, is in Matthew chapter 5, you can go ahead and look it up. He said, you are salt and you are light. Not you will be salt. You're not gifted to be light. You are. You are salt. You are light. And so the question then from a kingdom standpoint is, how am I going to be salt and light in this set of circumstances? And we can make all kinds of, of uh, uh, thoughts about what it means to be salt and light, and I you know, challenge you to do that, but that's a great question to ask. How can I be salt and light in this set of circumstances with what God's doing right here? And I think that uh, one of the great things that we can do is to learn how to make that just a natural question that we ask. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's a simple question. What's God up to? How can I be salt and light? What can I do where I can join him in this, even when it's hard? Now, I want to tell a, a, a quick story here. Um, well, let me do this. When we're talking about those moments where things get challenging and we want to be kingdom-minded, how do you go about doing that? Let, let's start there. I think the first thing you have to do is imagine what the kingdom is like. So let's take, for instance, you're dealing with someone who's, um, I'll just pick one, who is uh, dealing with an addiction. What does the kingdom look like for that person? It looks like freedom. And so that's where you, you seek freedom, whether that's prayer, whether that's an activity that you do, you seek freedom. What if, it's, what if it's illness? What if it's a, a sickness or a disease or something like that? What does the kingdom look like for someone who's ill? Healing. So we seek healing. We seek prayer for healing someone like that because that's the kingdom of God and that's what God's asking us to, to pursue. What if, what if you're dealing with somebody who has fear? Because, you know, in the midst of a pandemic, no one has any fear, Right? Perfect love drives out fear. Kingdom looks like love. Boy, Facebook could use a little more of that right now. So what does the kingdom look like in that set of circumstances that you're dealing with right now? And ask God to quicken your creativity. Lord, help me to see what your kingdom looks like here. How can I be salt and light? How can we move towards that? What can we do? So quick story. Just recently, um, Lisa and I were faced with a, a rather uncomfortable situation. I can't go into details, <clears throat> but I'll, I'll just tell you, it was very uncomfortable. Um, we, we, we were faced with someone who thought very differently about some things than we do. And they wanted to talk. Um, we weren't sure what they wanted. Yes, Lord. We weren't sure. Is that me? Yeah. That's why I have a Dan. All right. So the Lord says, don't sit down. Okay. Where was I? Oh, yeah. So we had, we had somebody who wanted to have a chat with us about something. We weren't sure what it was, but we know that on certain subjects, did your heart stop for a second? <laughs> it's like, okay, swallow your heart, it's gonna be okay. But um, we had, uh, we had this, this, this situation where this person wanted to, to chat with us, and we had no idea what the subject matter was, 
but based on some things that we had heard through grapevine and whatnot, we, we kind of imagined. Now, can I just say that those of you who know me, I have a bit of, a, of imagination, and sometimes it can go in <clears throat> very negative places. And I, you know, was all set and stealing myself for, okay, is this going to be a debate, or is this going to be an argument, is this going to be, I, you know, I had no idea. And then we started talking about this idea of being kingdom-minded. We, we actually had this conversation one night. Uh, we were just talking, Lisa and I, and I said, you know, what, what, what does the kingdom look like here? And we knew that the person that we were supposed to talk with had a lot of fear about a lot of different things. Well, if the kingdom looks like love, because perfect love That means we needed to love. Lord, are you sure? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to go have a conversation. No idea where it's going to go. Don't even know what the subject matter is. So we're going to go have a talk. All we knew is that we know that there was fear involved and the kingdom was about love and so we needed to do that. Turns out, the individual wanted to talk about something completely different. (laughs) And in fact, as the course of the conversation went on, they needed to talk about something so deep in their heart, such a deep concern, they didn't know who else to talk to. And we almost missed it. Thank God for kingdom-mindedness. Because we could have dealt with it in fear and in anger ourselves, but perfect love drives out fear. Okay, Lord, so we're going to go have this conversation. See, it wasn't just about their fear, it was about ours. What does the kingdom look like? How do we imagine that? And this person needed a safe place to talk to. Oh, I'm so glad we were there. And it actually brought us all a little bit closer and doesn't that sound like the kingdom of God too, right? We almost missed it. I'm so glad that we didn't. The other main player here um, is Saul, of course. Even after spectacular events that we've read about in the past, he's still hunting David at this point. And, and actually, when you look at the narrative here, it almost seems like this little skirmish that he had with the Philistines was a distraction to hunting David, not the other way around. He's the king. He's supposed to def- defend the land. But he's more interested in what's going on inside rather than what's going on on his borders. So he finishes pursuing them, and he comes back, and he deals with the subject matter at hand. It's not a distraction. And I want you to think about this too, because at this moment in time where we find this story, Saul has the position, but he has no anointing. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have David, who has no position, but he has all of the anointing. Frankly, which one would you rather have? But that's what's happening here. You've got this this, uh, power struggle that's going on but it really is showing where God's shifting things. 
And I think what happens is we fall victim to, and I, I saw this, I think it was on a meme, I don't know, it was Facebook or Twitter or something, I thought it was really interesting, is that very often we tend to um, fall into what they call Disney princess theology. <laughs> Have you seen this one? Yeah? No, Dan hasn't, that's okay, I'll tell you. When we read the biblical story, we often see ourselves in the hero, right? I mean, we want to be David. We want to slay Goliath, right? We, we want to be the one who makes the right choice and cuts the robe off rather than run him through. We want, we want to be that kind, of, that kind of person. But isn't it interesting that rarely do we see ourselves identifying with Saul? Oh, it got quiet in here. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm not intending to shame anybody. That, that's not my point. If you're, if you're hearing this and you're, you're going to feel ashamed about it, that's, that's not from God. That's not the point here. But maybe there's a thing that you're hanging on to that isn't yours. Or maybe there's something that you're chasing after that you really don't need to be. Maybe you're being aggressive about something that isn't really worth your, your energy to do that. Maybe it's distracting you from the thing that God really wants you to do or to be. Because it, it strikes me here that, that for all of Saul's faults, he still has an option that he never takes, and that's to repent. Yes, his anointing has left him. The Spirit of God is no longer on him and he's dealing with all of his inner turmoil and he's dealing with issues and, and he's, he's got worries upon worries, yes, but at no point does it ever say that Saul just stops and turns to God and repents, asks for forgiveness, does something different, looks for a new direction. He just doesn't do it. That's a lesson to learn I think. Finally, within this story, there is a supporting cast. And it happens to be David's men, and they're often overlooked. These are the guys in the cave, right? They're all sitting there, the unfortunate circumstance of Saul doing his thing, but they're all, they're all talking to him. They're whispering back and forth, and this is your chance. They encourage David to kill Saul. They even quote scripture to him. Didn't the Lord say that he would deliver him into your hand? And they're going, there it is. If this isn't, you know, to do with as you wish, we don't know what, I don't know what is. Very clear. And yet David regains his kingdom mindset and he ends up rebuking them. No, that's the Lord's anointed. You don't understand. Yes, I have the anointing. Yes, I know I'm going to be king, but God gets to choose when I sit on the throne and this is not it. The truth of the matter is we often find ourselves in positions to encourage others. We do. We find ourselves in that, that way, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, you would be surprised. Um, no, probably you're not, because if you've, you've done this for any length of time, you've been in a position where you can actually add something to someone's life. You can give them something of value, some advice, some wisdom, some insight, whatever it happens to be. So my question is, what are you encouraging other people to do? What are you encouraging other people to be? 
And be very, very, very careful when you're interpreting God and God's word for another person. You know, sometimes the Lord gives you that insight, and that's great, but before you open your mouth, you better check in with him. Make sure, like, Lord, is this something you want me to say here? So what are you encouraging them to do? What are you encouraging them to do? Are you encouraging their self-interest? Your interests? Because, come on. I mean, you got a group of men who are stuck in a cave, running from the king, and they've got this opportunity. Yeah, it's in David's self-interest. He gets to be on the throne, but don't, don't misunderstand. It's in their interest, too. They don't have to be on the run. And when David sits on the front throne, they all get to go live in the palace, too. Not a cave. So it's David's self-interest, but it's also their self-interest. Or are you encouraging people to kingdom purposes? Because I think that's what Jesus wants us to do when he said, seek first the kingdom of God, not just for yourself, for others. Does this make sense? This is a big deal. If we're going to be kingdom-oriented people, people of the presence of God, if we're going to be that kind, then those are the types of things that we're thinking about all the time. And it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. It's a difficult task to do, but I think that's what we're called to do. Now, the truth of the matter is that when we read a story like this, we can see and we occupy these roles, each one of these roles in our own lives, sometimes at the same time. In one set of circumstances, I am David. Well, I'm always David, but you understand what I mean, right? At some point, we're, we're, like, we're like the biblical character of David. And, and, and at the same time, there might be another part of our life that we're acting like Saul. And we need, to, we need to grow up a little bit. And sometimes we're in a position at the same time of those two other things that we can advise someone else and we're like David's men. Every one of us can identify with these characters sometimes at the same time. And so I, I really want to encourage you today, based on the story, to seek God's presence seriously. I, I know it's a broken record, but I, I want you to track this with me because I think this is really important. If you're feeling pressed, oppressed, stressed, like David, then you seek God's presence and you ask for the anointing and the endurance that you need to wait. Because if he's made a promise to you, if he's given you that anointing, he gets to choose the timing. And you just need some endurance. If you're realizing that you're acting like Saul, God bless you because we've all done that. But then you go into the presence of God and you ask for forgiveness. I don't want to be like this. And then you ask for help to let it go. That was a Disney princess reference, by the way. But you have to do that, right? You, you've got to actually stop what it is that you're doing and say, oh God, I need some help with this. Forgive me for pursuing something that isn't mine to pursue. Help me to let this thing go so that I can actually choose the kingdom here over my own self-interest. And if you're in a place to advise another, oh, you, 
You, you've got to be in the presence of God to ask for the kingdom mindset that you need to give the type of wisdom, to give the type of insight that the people around you desperately are looking for. And they are looking for it. And it happens all the time. I just don't want us to miss those opportunities. And so the question that I have for you, as you can well imagine, is who do you identify with in the story today? I know you got something going on because you're human beings and you live in a very real world. And I'm sure that there's circumstances going on in life right now. There's relationships and there are things that are happening and you need the presence of God in a kingdom mindset. What is it for you? And what, what might Holy Spirit be saying to you about that? Now, I'm going to hit the pause button here for just a moment. Because um, those circumstances might bring up a lot of pain, very likely some shame. That's not from God. It's not. God doesn't bring that type of shame to you. In my experience, some of you heard me say this before, in my experience, every single time that God has confronted me with my Saul-like behavior, it's not wagging his finger, but it's almost always, oh, David, I've got something so much better for you. So don't listen to the voice of shame. You don't need it. That doesn't help you. That is not kingdom-oriented, and it will not help you find the kingdom of God. And so I, I want to I I pause right here and, and allow you to do business with God if you need to. Somebody in that story that's hitting you, and as um, Dan and Susan comes and sings this last song, which of those characters do you identify with and how can you find a kingdom mindset? You might find yourself in the midst going, man, I, I, don't, I don't even know where to begin. That's okay. Um, I'm going to be over here. Gina is going to be over here. We're, we're here to pray for you, pray with you. And there's no judgment from us because we've, we've been there <laughs> more times than I care to admit. But we want to have the privilege to actually pray with you and, and ask for the presence so that you have a kingdom mindset. How would the world change? How would your world change if you had a kingdom mindset? If you sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? I think you'd begin to see God work in some truly extraordinary ways. And I want that for you. I want that for Thrive Church. Jesus, as we uh, come to the end of this, you are present. You are here. We, we said this before service. We said it during service. We are gathered in your name, and by your word, you are here. Oh, and Holy Spirit, you are so welcome here. And my prayer is, God, that in the next few moments, as, as we sing that you might um, just kind of wander around, visit people as they might need to be visited, speak to them,
in ways um, that encourage them, that help them deal with whatever it is that they're facing. <laughs> Lord, maybe it's even to show them you know, what character they, they can identify with. Bottom line is, God, we trust you. We trust you to show us where we need you the most so that we can really follow you. And I pray, Lord, that um, if it comes to pass where somebody needs some additional encouragement, that they would, they would make the courageous step to step out and have somebody pray for them. There's no judgment here. <laughs> There's only grace and mercy. We want to be people of the kingdom, like true citizens of the kingdom. And that only comes when we love one another. Show us how to do that better. And Lord, I want to make sure that I pray that if anyone's listening to the voice of shame, command it to be silent in the name of Jesus. Because only your Holy Spirit is welcome here. So come Holy Spirit.